Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. I was going over my notes early this morning with uh, our little girl Eden. She couldn't sleep and um, going over my notes and at one point paused to think about something and she turned to me and said, Daddy, keep reading. You're helping me fall asleep. <laughs> so part of my prayer today is that that would not be true for you. Again, welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. My name's Jesse. I'm the pastor here. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And we're picking up today in our series, nearing the end of our series, The Songs of Jesus, in which we've been plugging in the playlist of the songs that both shape Jesus' life and that Jesus came to satisfy. Picking up today in Psalm 118, the psalm that was on the lips of the crowd that first Palm Sunday so long ago, as Jesus entered Jerusalem. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there again to Psalm 118 and to follow along with me as I read from Psalm 118, verses 1 to 29. This is God's Word. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. I was... They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, place ourselves under your word, our prayer today is none other than the prayer of this psalmist and the prayer of those who used this psalm to welcome your son into his city. Our prayer is Hosanna. Save us, O Lord, we pray. But we pray that prayer today knowing full well that the answer to it cost your son his life. So we pray it not only out of a deep sense of our need, but out of an indescribable sense of our dependency and gratitude for what he's done which is why it's in his name that we pray it. Amen. The word symphony comes from the Greek symphonia, meaning a together sound. And ought to call to mind an orchestral ensemble of 70 or 100 stringed brass woodwind, and percussion instruments, all joining as a single voice to tell the symphonic story of a Beethoven, or Brahms, or Bruckner. Now, I've only actually ever had one opportunity to be in an ensemble like that when our pretty sad high school band took an extended field trip to Syracuse University. And we were given the opportunity, the chance to perform alongside the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra, which was a pretty big deal at the time because the, the, the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra was at one time among the top in the nation. The problem is, is that in the months leading up to that, I didn't really practice at all, which left me in the very precarious position of standing on stage next to these professionals and just air-guitaring my way through the entire performance. Now, ironically, when I stepped off that stage, my band director approached me and said, she had never heard me play so well. (laughs) But for me, the experience left me with a deep-seated disappointment that I hadn't really been part 
of that together sound. That my voice had been missing from the symphony. Which is a disappointment that more than playing Beethoven or Brahms, the psalmist of Psalm 118 does not want us to walk away with when it comes to our part in singing the symphonic story of the steadfast love of the Lord. Because that's really what this last book of the Psalms, this last book is all about in the story of the Psalms. The symphonic crescendo, praising God for bringing his people back to the promised land, even as they continued to await God's promised king. This is what the book of Psalms is all about, and this is where this last book of the Psalms has come to. And the words that introduce Psalm 118 are words we've heard before, right? Do you remember? As they were the same words that introduced book 5 of the Psalms back in Psalm 107. Did you notice it? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. But where Psalm 107 provided the refrain Psalm 118 is the cry that again, my voice and yours as well would not be missing from the symphony. That the collective, let all Israel say, is made up of the sections of woodwinds or brass. Let the house of Aaron say, which is made up of every individual instrument. Let all those who fear the Lord say His steadfast love endures forever. You see how it's driving towards that? This is what Psalm 18 is all about because you and I are supposed to join this psalmist in saying that the Lord is my helper, my salvation, and my God which is what I want us to look at this morning first, that we would say with the psalmist, join the symphony with the psalmist, saying the Lord is first my helper. Because this is where he begins in verse 5, saying, out of my distress I called on the Lord, the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, he says, therefore I will not fear. For what can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. Therefore, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Why? Because again, the psalmist says, the Lord is my helper. He is on my side. Or better put, by my side in the sense that God is with me. That's what this means here. He is with me. And with me as an answer to my prayers. And the psalmist knows that if God is with him, what man, what woman can stand against him? That there isn't a fiery furnace hot enough if God is with you. Not a den of lions hungry enough. Not a, not a pit deep enough or a giant tall enough or an enemy strong enough or an adversary smart enough. 
that there isn't a situation bad enough or a corner of this world dark enough if God is by your side. So that what the psalmist says in verse 8 isn't really rocket science. It's just a simple comparison. That it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It just is. And just as much that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Because it doesn't matter how powerful the man. The man can't compare, prince or otherwise, to having God as your helper. Something Sammy Dagger knows. Sammy is a Lebanese pastor who has served churches in Syria, Iraq, and in his home country of Lebanon. During some of the the decades, those countries faced their most significant civil unrest. And during one particularly gruesome period, Sammy tells of how he had turned an old camper van into a mobile clinic for victims of the latest war. But that late one evening, he arrived home to find that when he was out, his family had received a death threat. That a man with a machine gun had rung their doorbell and taken that gun and pointed it at his 13-year-old son and said, you tell your dad if he helps them, you die. You can imagine the emotions of that night. Right? And yet under the conviction that Jesus would have done no different, The next day, Sammy went right back to work helping the hurting. And yet, he was home that evening to answer the door himself when the same man, same machine gun, came banging again. But when he told the man that he wasn't going to stop and that the man would just have to shoot him, for no apparent reason, the man couldn't do it. And the man eventually just hung his head, turned, and walked away. Sammy Dagger knows. Sammy said it that night, the joy in our heart was overwhelming. Not because we escaped suffering as much as God spoke to us through that. But because in that moment, we knew in that moment, God was with us. And if God is with you, whether you escape or have to go through the suffering, what can man actually do? Notice, though, that just like for Sammy, the psalmist learned this lesson for himself, not because it was the collective story of God's people, but because it was his own personal experience that the story of God's children had become his story as God's child. So he says in verse 10, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. Like bees, like, a, like a, a fire in thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard, he said, so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. 
See, this isn't just about something that God's done in the past in the far reaches of history. We, we celebrate that as God's people, what God's done in the past. We often find great comfort in that, often need to remind ourselves of that. But here, what the psalmist is talking about is the experience of his own life. That there was a time, he says, when I was surrounded When I was shut in and I had nowhere else to go. And yet, at that time, when I had nowhere else to go, I cried out to the Lord. And He answered me. So that I now know Him as my helper. And I wonder if that's true for you. I wonder if you can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my helper. Or if your voice is somehow missing from the symphony. If you can say the Lord is my helper. But second, I wonder if you can say the Lord is my salvation. Because this isn't just that God lends a helping hand when times are tough. It's that God lends the only hand when times are toughest. And he has the only hand that can be lent. So the psalmist says in verse 14, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And here it's worth noting that this is a direct quotation from the opening lines of the song of Moses. You remember it? When backed up against the Red Sea, God divided the waters and led his people through on dry land. And when after the Egyptians followed, it says that the Lord threw their forces into confusion and ultimately threw them into the sea. And so Moses leads the people in singing this song. I will sing to the Lord, he says, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. But notice again that that what Moses sang about God doing generally, the psalmist seems to sing about God doing for him personally. Not that others aren't singing as well. They are. As he says in verse 15, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. It's like everybody's having their own little floss party. Singing what? The Lord, the hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. But the choir is composed of individuals. Each singing their own part. So the psalmist sings for himself in verse 17, I shall not die, you see it? But I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, he says, but he has not given me over to death. 
So open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of righteousness. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. The thanksgiving for what God has done for them. And he says, I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Can you say that of God? Can you sing it? Not just that God's done a great work, but that He's done it for you. It's interesting, just this week, the footage of Aretha Franklin's 1972 live album recording, Amazing Grace, has just been released. 47 years after the audio version became the best-selling gospel record of all time. And the footage is incredibly moving. It's out in the theater on AMC down in DeKalb. You can go watch it. The footing is incredibly moving. Whatever you would say or make of Aretha's, Aretha Franklin's faith in the end. But what makes it moving isn't just her performance, but the words of that amazing hymn. That amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And that personal dynamic is precisely what this psalmist seems to be talking about himself in verse 22. It's applied differently in the New Testament, and we'll get to that. But when the psalmist first wrote, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, he seems to have been speaking about himself That me, the one everyone blew off, that God has taken me, the one overlooked and underplayed, the one rejected and dejected, the one passed by and passed up and passed over, that God has taken me and used me when everyone else thought I was useless. And used him not for just anything, but that God took that cracked and crooked stone and and used him as as an integral part of the construction of the building. As the cornerstone. The stone that was laid as the foundation on which the building would be built. When everyone else was writing him off. So the psalmist says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the day that God picked us out of the trash heap. In the the day that God picked us out of the burn pile. In the day that he picked us out of the rubbish bin and reclaimed us for his good purposes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Can you say that about yourself? Can you say that for yourself? Or is your voice somehow missing from the symphony? Because we're meant to say with the psalmist, the Lord is my helper. 
my salvation. And lastly, my God. And here I want to draw your attention to this section that begins in verse 25 with the psalmist saying, Save us, we pray, O Lord. And then ends in verse 28 with his declaration, You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. And what I want you to see is that the heart of what the psalmist is saying here is that to call the Lord your God and to claim the Lord as your own is to essentially look to God and look to God alone to do in the future what He's done for you before. That because He saved you back then, He's the one you're looking to to save you someday. Which means you're not going to look to yourself. You're not going to look to your spouse. You're not going to look to some superior or some superhero. But to God and God alone. Not that God may not use others, but that in the end it is God who must do the saving. And not only that you will acknowledge that God saved you, but that He's the only one who can save you in the end. And the only one who can save you for good. And bring the work of saving you to completion. It's been interesting watching my 93-year-old grandmother age. All the medical issues that go with that seems like every other day i'm getting a text that she's back in the hospital with some infection or another or something else going wrong but i've noticed that with the increase in hospitalizations there's likewise been an increase even more in her trust in the lord not in the, the medicine or the medical professionals, but in the only one who can take care of all of it for good. I remember as a kid, every birthday card always ended with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. They weren't very long birthday cards. It was like, Dear Jesse, happy birthday. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will be the one to do the setting straight of your paths. That's what she believed. But I'm getting to see it now that the Lord is her God more than ever before. And yet, as sweet as my grandma is, and I would venture to say she's probably sweeter than yours, <laughs> even she doesn't deserve to call him her God. Even she doesn't deserve to have a part in his symphony on her own. 
Again, the psalmist here seems to still be talking about himself at the end of this psalm when he says, Open to me the gates that I may enter through them. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He still seems to be talking about himself even at the end. But by Jesus' day, it seems like everyone realized that this had to be talking essentially about somebody else. That there was no symphony to be a part of unless someone else stood up before us and showed the rest of us how to sing. Which is why that first Palm Sunday so long ago, Jesus entered the gates and was hailed the coming king with the words of this very psalm as he was welcomed into Jerusalem. Because as much as this isn't a song of David, it's not, right? As much as this isn't a song of David, or really even a song about David's heir, the expectations and anticipations and need for that coming king to enable us to sing this song for ourselves, to sing this psalm for ourselves, meant it had to be just that. It had to be a song of Jesus. That Aretha Franklin documentary has really just infatuated me this week. Watching the clips of it, hearing the story of how it died for 40 some odd years and now has been resurrected. That's what the article said in its title, The the, the Death, Rebirth, and Resurrection of Aretha Franklin's Long Lost Album. It's really infatuated me this week particularly because at the start, as you're watching the footing, the footage, it really seems like it's just your typical concert. That everybody's sitting there real quiet, waiting for the performance to begin. But when it does begin, and when Aretha Franklin finally opens her mouth, Everybody's out of their seats, dancing in the aisles, singing at the top of their lungs to the highest heavens. He saved a wretch like me. It's even one clip in the back. You see Mick Jagger singing the song of Amazing Grace. But how much more can we sing it ourselves and sing it for ourselves? The stone that the builders rejected, cracked and crooked as it is, that the stone that the builders rejected wasn't left in the trash heap but became part of the building when that stone became the cornerstone. Because just like the Apostle Peter once said, He said, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
for it stands in Scripture. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And because of that, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because Jesus knew him as helper, knew him as his salvation, knew him as his God. And now in him has invited us to be part of the symphony as well. Is that not so fitting that this would be the psalm they were singing on the day Jesus showed up to Jerusalem? Let me then leave you with three questions. First, have you just shown up as a spectator? Just to listen in to everybody else tell this story without ever intending to make it your own. Without ever intending that it would be your own. Because if you have, you're not really hearing it at all. Because this symphony is all about, even more than Mike's announcements, audience participation. Because what was said about Franklin's concert in one of the articles, the reviews of it, is even more true for us today. That the film shows a building full of people who came body and soul to join in the singing. And the article says this, if we're just sitting there watching other people make music instead of participating in it ourselves as engaged audience members, we're doing it wrong. So did you just show up to be a spectator? But second, I've got to ask, especially because I'm me, If you're part of the symphony, supposed to be part of the symphony, count yourself part of the symphony, are you really playing your part and singing your side of this story, the side of the story when God came down, get into the mess of your life and took you out of the rubbish heap? Are you doing that or are you just air guitaring your way through it? Because if you know Jesus as your Savior and in Him you know the Lord as your helper, your salvation, and your God, you're meant to be playing along. You're meant to be singing your side. You're, you're meant, your voice is supposed to be, be heard and at the workplace or in the office or on the playground with the rest of the moms chasing your little kids around. Your testimony is supposed to be on your lips. Not just collecting dust on some membership application. As important as those applications are. And the psalmist here, and Jesus would agree, that he does not want you to experience the disappointment of never having been part of that together sound of singing in your life the symphonic story of the steadfast love of the Lord 
to you. Have you just shown up as a spectator? Are you part of the symphony but not actually playing your part? Brings me back to the first question. Have you really showed up to be part of the symphony at all? Or are you actually just another spectator again? Because if you're not singing, I wonder if you actually know Jesus. Our kids get excited about stuff. You cannot stop them from telling everybody else about it. so mesmerized by the footage of this concert this week that the moment Franklin opened her mouth people were out of their seats weeping dancing in the aisles there's even that shot of Mick Jagger (laughs) and my prayer today and especially as we journey toward Easter together this week My prayer for us is that it would be the same for you and I. Not because of Franklin. Somebody's conjuring it up from left field. But because you know the steadfast love of the Lord for yourself. And you can't help but sing about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... I ask just that. I ask what the psalmist asked. Save us, O Lord. I ask that we would come to you. That prayer would always and ever be directed at you because of what Jesus did. That we would have known you as our helper, as our salvation in him. And know you as our God as we await his return. I pray that it would be so. And I pray that it would slip off our lips without us even thinking about it. I pray we would be overwhelmed and that we would overflow with that symphony sound. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.